Well, good morning, LCM. Today is December 4th, and we're rapidly approaching the end of 2022. I mean, we have like 27 days left, and we're going to have a lot of things to accomplish together in that time. We're in a wedding week. We have services and, and home meetings and team meetings and even cantatas, countless Bible studies. And to culminate everything that God has been doing, we have our New Year's Eve bonfire that is going to launch us forward into an even more productive 2023. If you've been here for any amount of time, you know at least one thing is true about life at LCM. Our days are really long, but our years feel really, really short. Because of the faithfulness of our God to fill our lives with his abundant goodness. So the elders and the pastors... We all return from a time spent hearing from Adonai about the direction that he has for this body of believers. As we began to hone in on what God will do, we were overwhelmed by reflecting on what God has done. So here's what we did. We, we began to recount the testimonies that the Lord has brought about in your lives, in your homes, in your jobs, the marriages that God has forged this year and the ones that have been cultivated to a new level of maturity and fruitfulness. Not to mention the plethora of children that we have. And what we're doing with them. We're raising them up to be sons and daughters of the living God who carry on the work that we're imparting into them. So in reflecting in all of what God has done, doesn't that give us reason to celebrate that Adonai has been good to us? Amen. See, we were exalting the Lord about how we have sought him as a body and how he is delivering us from all of our fears. We magnify the Lord as we thought of your radiant faces who have heard from the Lord time and time and time again, and he even saved us out of all of our troubles. We glorified our great king, testifying like the psalmist in Psalm 34 and verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. <laughs> oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. So his faithfulness gives us not only reason to celebrate, but it also gives us cause for confidence in yet what he will do. So look, church, our best days, they're not behind us. They are right here with us. And the expectation is that they will only expand in the days that lie ahead. So we want you to know that we were blessed beyond measure as a pastor and elder team to retell your stories. We begin to recount them. So if your pastors and elders are this encouraged by the testimony of what God has been doing in you, we can only imagine how encouraged, how empowered you must be when you're recounting them to each other as well. See, with that in mind, we want to call your attention to the fact that Adonai is truly loyal to the covenant that he's made with us. And we have a mountain of evidence about his loyalty. Somebody say his loyalty. His loyalty. He has never changed. He is never fickle. He does not waver, and he will surely never faint. Our God is always true to his word. He's true to his promises. He's true to the oaths, the covenants that he's established. He's faithful to it with the heavens and the earth, and he's even faithful to it with those who have been called by him and chosen and who are faithful to this. See, in our own lives, 
in your own lives, he's proven to be everlastingly loyal through his ongoing acts of kindness, showing you mercy when you need it, but you didn't deserve it. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, which is all the time. The mercy that you need and didn't deserve. Steadfast in his resolve to bring you out of the death of dread and the dread of death and into a resurrected life full of hope, joy, and power. This is the God that we serve, church. Is he loyal, church? Well, what also describes who God is and your experience with him is that in his loyalty, he has been overwhelmingly loving to you. So whether it be correction or comfort or the everything else in between, yes, thank you, Lord, all of his works in your life are destined to bring you through the cycles of going from death to life. So this is a maturing process that every believer must go through. And your loving Father is always bringing you through these cycles. I'm talking about cycles which lead to a depth that is void of your own power and your own ability. So that you will then rise in his power, in his ability. Yeah. It's only then that you can accomplish his works and possess the signature of God and have it displayed through you. Look, this morning we're going to combine these two concepts that we've just been talking to you about. The title of today's sermon is Loyal Love. Say that with me. Loyal Love. To get a clear perspective of these two attributes in combination that God displays to us, let's all turn to Psalm chapter 89. Psalm 89. And say, loyal love is your turning. Now, Psalm 89 was written by a man named Ethan the Ezraite. Of course, one of your favorite Bible characters, right? We all know about Ethan the Ezraite. Just one thing that I'd like to point out about him as we begin to read what he penned in such a beautiful way. Solomon, obviously, is uh, the wisest man who's ever lived. But in 1 Kings 4, Solomon is compared to give the people an understanding. It says that Solomon was wiser than all the people of the East. He had more wisdom than all of that of Egypt. And he said why, uh, Solomon became the wisest man, even more wise than Ethan the Ezraite. The comparison, so you get an idea, before there was a Solomon, Ethan the Ezraite was the model of wisdom. And this is what this man is going to begin to share with us in this passage, and it's going to be beautiful. Look at verse 1. I will sing continually. Oh, we're going to do this in the NET, Pastor Nick. An important part here. In the NET. Psalm 89 and verse 1, I will sing continually about the Lord's faithful deeds. To future generations, I will proclaim your faithfulness. Church, Ethan the Ezraite, he begins this psalm with the declarations that we're going to sing continually about the Lord's faithful deeds, his, his said as it is in Hebrew. There should never be a moment. Hey, look at me for a second, church. I know we're early in the sermon. Think about this, though. There should never be a moment that we're absent of reasons to let our praise pour forth from our mouth and from our hearts. 
There's never a moment. We should continually sing. We should continually praise him because of his goodness. There's never a time that God has not displayed his faithfulness to us, his loving deeds to us. And what he's already done for us and for you, it's going to endure for eternity. Come on, that's a beautiful way to start off this psalm. In the NET, I actually think it says it's a well-written psalm. I think, I, th- I think they got that right. Let's take a look at verse 2. Verse 2. For I say, loyal love is permanently established. In the skies you set up your faithfulness. So while the word has said in verse 1 is translated as faithful deeds, here in verse 2, the same Hebrew word has said is translated as loyal love. The translation of has said as loyal love is an accurate descriptor of who our God is because it is what he is continually demonstrating to us. In fact, this verse declares that his loyal love is permanently established, meaning that it has been established or built to endure for all eternity. And here's the, uh, the gem about it. We get to be recipients of that. That what God has extended to us in his loyal love, it endures for an eternity. And we get to build our lives upon that interaction with it. His loyal love, it doesn't change like shifting shadows. It is in a, uh, such a stable, eternal element that it does not falter. It does not fail. It doesn't demonstrate even a microsecond of faithlessness. When you think about that, the the character of God being described as loyal love, there's not a microsecond of faithlessness that he shows. His loyal love is seen in the showers of his kindness and mercy enveloping you and lifting you upward from a place of death that you have descended into. So we put this all together, the earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars Those things will one day pass away. But the one thing that will not is the loyal love of our God. It is eternally established. That should inspire you to a new level of confidence. That should bring about a greater amount of gratitude continually pouring forth from your speech. That should result in a full expression of joy regardless of where you are at. No matter where you're at within the cycle of death to life. A full expression of joy. Church, how many things in your day, in each and every one of your day would be fixed if we just realized that God is full of loyal love? Like it doesn't fail. He will never falter in this. Look at what it says in verse 14. Let's see how beautiful this gets. Psalm 89 and verse 14. Equity and justice are the foundation of your throne. All right? Equity and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loyal love and faithfulness characterize your rule. Okay. Let me, let me help you to engage with this. We're doing it in a different translation than we normally do. So let's walk through this together. What we're saying is that this all starts with a firm footing of righteous equity. A righteous equity that's there along with justice. And they're the foundation of God's leadership. When you're talking about his throne, you're talking about the way that he's going about leading. In the entirety of the universe, he is sitting enthroned, and what he's enthroned on is righteous equity and justice. That's pretty amazing. 
and what he does, somebody say, and. What he has is loyal love and faithfulness that are the defining traits of how he leads his people. How he starts to engage with you and me are defined by loyal love and faithfulness. This means that loyal love is not just at the heart of what goes on. Okay, y'all know me. Has anybody ever been guilty like me of saying, oh, that moved my heart? Oh, I, I felt moved in this way. What does that mean? If it didn't cause something in your actions, it means nothing. It didn't actually move your heart. This is not just that God feels like he's being loyally loved. It is before his face. Literally, the Hebrew says, it is before him always, for eternity. Loyal love. Do you need to put things on your mirror like me? Hey, I need to be reminded of, I need to put it in front of my face. God says, I put my loyal love and my faithfulness right before my face all the time. He looks at that and then begins to deal with you. He looks at that and then begins to deal with creation. In other words, let me say this a little bit differently. God is looking for ways to demonstrate his loyal love to you. Man, I hear Hayes crying out to me. I'm looking at Hayes, but also before me is loyal love. How can I, as God in loyal love, help Hayes with what's going on? Oh, you know what would be loyal love? He needs a little bit more difficulty because he's just now starting to cry out to me. Ah, this one needs to be rescued. Ah, this one needs, he is looking for ways to demonstrate his loyal love to us. He can't wait to display loyal love to the Phillips family. Either Phillips family. He doesn't even get confused at who he's talking about. It's great. He's leading you, church. God, Adonai, is leading you in a way where he gets to show off his loyal love to you as much as he possibly can. Man, this description of God is incredible. Can you feel what that's doing in your heart just to consider this just for a moment? His loyal love? Man, this description of God actually permeates the entire Tanakh. We want to show you another passage to help you to understand how important loyal love is to God and what it means for us. Turn with us to Micah chapter 7. Say loyal love as you're turning. We're going to pick up in verse 18. There is no other God like you. You forgive sin. And pardon the rebellion of those who remain among your people. You do not remain angry forever, but delight in showing loyal love. So working through this, this passage begins with there is no God like our God. Meaning the one who alone has the ability to forgive sin. I'm not talking about the small infractions that, you, uh, that incurred today or yesterday. We're talking about the entirety of sin as a whole. That's the God that we serve. He forgives the entirety of sin. He is also the God who pardons the rebellion of those within the family of God. I mean, the passage said, of those who remain among your people. Not those that are outside the house of God. Those are within 
the members of his body and this church. So the discipline and correction of our father, it is righteous and it is just at all times. But that alone is not the end goal of what he's shooting for. He is always aiming at delighting and showing you his loyal love when he leads you to repentance, when he is looking to forgive your sin, and when he wants to pardon you of your rebellion. The point is he is continually expressing his very nature to you by showing you his loyal love. Let's continue on in verse 19. You will once again have mercy on us. You will conquer our evil deeds. You will hurl our sins into the depths of the sea. You will be loyal to Jacob and extend your loyal love to Abraham, which you promised on oath to our ancestors in ancient times. Look back at that verse 19, church. You will once again have mercy on us. Can somebody shout hallelujah in the house? He will once again, like not only yesterday, but I need it again today. Not just today, like earlier this morning, I need it again now. He will once again, because it is a demonstration that he is delighting to show you his actual loyal love. He conquers our evil deeds. Man, I love this. He puts our sinful nature to death. He buries it. He's not, a, he's not worried about us having faltered. You, did you hear the prophecy this morning? He's teaching us how to run faster and faster that we might outrun the men, that we might soon and one day be able to run with the horses. This is what he's doing. It is his delight. He's not even discouraged in the process. He looks at it as an opportunity to show, show his loyal love to you again and again and again. Church, he hurls our sins in the depths of the sea. He forgives our sins and he works and gets out of us the sinful nature. This is amazing. Can you hear this? I, I, I hear the Hebrews 12, casting off, throwing aside, throwing off everything that entangles. How are we able to do that? Because of his loyal love demonstrating and working in our lives. Now, how is the writer able to say in verse 20 that the Lord will extend loyal love to Abraham? We are something like 800 years past Abraham. No, it's more than that. It's over 1,000 years past Abraham. How is he going to extend loyal love to Abraham? Well, that's a good question. I'm so glad you asked. It's each time that you and I go through the same cycle of death to life that Abraham did. It's by us participating in the same faith that Abraham had. See, when you are trusting in the God who raises the dead, you know what happens? You're counted as one of his offspring who is serving the God of Abraham. This is the, the promise, the covenant, the eternal covenant in Genesis 17, 7, where he's saying to you, to your children, and to the generations, to your offspring, I have made this covenant with you. See, this is how God is extending his loyal love to Abraham. By extending it to you. See, you are Abraham's offspring. You should be thinking of stories in the word like David looking for Jonathan's grandson Mephibosheth. How can I go about honoring someone that I've loved? Well, I'm going to honor his children. How is God extending loyal love to a man like Abraham? He is extending his loyal love to his descendants. And that extension of God's loyal love, he's seeing it. Come on now, are you with me, church? That ability, look, Abraham is now standing by the Lord in this passage. 
He's been gone for a thousand years, and here we are, and God's saying, I'm still extending my loyal love to you. Not even death can cause me to stop extending my loyal love to you. And that's exactly what's going on here with Abraham. You know, Pastor Wade and I were reading and engaging the scripture yesterday, and we share a commonality, a bond between us. It's not just the fact that we have brown hair and brown eyes or brown skin. We have a granddaughter from his son and my daughter. And as we were talking about this aspect, we began to have our eyes open and seeing that in the same manner that God is promising to extend his loyal love to Abraham, I'm looking at the promises that God has made for our family and that what is what is to come in the future is that Rivka's offspring will be receiving the loyal love that continues the work that God has been doing in this family line. And when it happens where our great, even great, great, great grandchildren, it is God still displaying his loyal love to what he began inside of us. So God's promise and oath to Abraham to show the same loyal love to his descendants is also seen in Exodus chapter 15. So everybody turn with me to Exodus 15. We're going to pick up in verse 13. Say loyal love as you turn. By your loyal love, you will lead the people whom you have redeemed. You will guide them by your strength to your holy place. When we were engaging with this passage, we saw right off the bat that it's by God's loyal love that he will lead. Will lead. This is a song of Moses. Right? He's standing on the other side of the Red Sea, but there is a past and present that leads into declaring what the future looks like when God is going to lead them by his loyal love. The past. The past is that they just came out of Egypt. There were plagues that were displayed, judging the gods of Egypt, and gave them a great deliverance out of it. The present is that they just walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, and they're standing there offering up praise to the living God, and with those two things in view, he is able to confidently declare that the same loyal love that God showed in the past and in the present, he will show in the future by leading us to what is righteous, holy, and going to accomplish his will. So he desires to give life to his people through resurrection power. That's what that past experience was for Moses and Israel out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. And what is yet to come is a certainty that that same resurrection power is going to be there by God leading us in his loyal love. So when we begin to put this together, God desires for you to have resurrection power because it displays his loyal love to you. It displays how his loyal love is permanently established, how it characterizes his rule, how he delights to show it to you, and how he desires to extend it to the fathers of the faith by extending it to you. So to put some of these things together, we have a slide for you. And these are seven ways God demonstrates loyal love and how he displays resurrection power for us. There are so many more that exist in, in searching the word. And we just picked seven that connected to us. So God's loyal love. 
His loyal love leads us in to resurrection power. God's loyal love endures. It is permanently established. It's forever and unchanging. It forgives us of our iniquity and sin. It protects us. It shows us mercy, particularly when we don't deserve it, like we said earlier. As we read earlier in Psalm 89, it produces praise. And it also revives our soul. So God's loyal love, you know what it actually does when I'm looking at this list? It leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. Every time that I find myself there, and it leads me right into his resurrection power. Church, when we're talking about God's loyal love, it endures. It never fails to find me when I've descended right into the belly of Sheol. It's never failed to endure, to help lift me up through his resurrection power. The kind of resurrection power that's not just enough for me, but his resurrection power is for you and it's for the generations. You can see that constant, enduring, loyal love. God's loyal love forgives because there's no God like our God. Displaying his resurrection power every time I cry out to him concerning my sin, the weights that so easily entangle me, and my rebellion. It's because I remember his loyal love that I can acknowledge just how rebellious I've been from the very beginning. Come on now. Did y'all hear that? Just how rebellious that I've been since the beginning. See, understanding his loyal love and that it forgives helps you to be able to do that. God's loyal love also protects. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He's always there to raise me up again and again and again because that's what God's loyal love is. God's loyal love shows me mercy, the mercy that I desperately need, and he is so ready to give because of the covenants that he has established. Not even death can separate me from his power. As a matter of fact, it is because I die often that his merciful resurrection is then available to me. God's loyal love produces praise. How can it not produce praise? How can it not, as you just meditate just for a moment on God's loyal love, it produces praise. It fills our lungs with air that we would then want to return to him with praise and worship and adoration. Especially when you consider the fact that his loyal love has spoken into my grave and called me out just like Lazarus. It wasn't me. I didn't do anything. He just called and it caused me to come alive again. Therefore, I give him praise continually. Well, think about this last one. God's loyal love revives. It revives. It lifts your soul from that pit of death. It is a demonstration of his resurrection power and his said, and it causes him to be put on display again, again in my life every time that he revives my soul. Come on, isn't that beautiful, church? Understanding just a few aspects, a few of the characteristics of God's loyal love starts to do something inside of you. Now, look, we're going to prepare and go to the book, the Navim book of Jonah here together with you in just a second. So you can begin to turn there. But we want to remind you as you're turning of the fact that for Jews, you're always going up when you go to Jerusalem. You're going up to the house of the Lord. You're making Aliyah, which means to rise, to go up. When they're going up to Jerusalem, they are singing the song of ascent as they go. As you travel, each time, Jerusalem is always the highest place. And everywhere else that you travel from Jerusalem, you're journeying down. Does that make sense? Going to Jerusalem, you're journeying up. If you're going away from Jerusalem, you're going down because the concept is, is that you're going away from God's will and God's presence and all. See, Jonah is a man who can warn our souls today. 
about the depths that occur as you are in the process of dying and being resurrected again and again. We have a slide for you that we want to, to help you with a few thoughts here. Jonah's journeying down. There were some brothers that were speaking the other day, and this is something that the Lord began to show, and we wanted to help and uh, try to enumerate this with you this morning. In Jonah 1.3, immediately after Jonah hears the words of the Lord, it says that he went down to Joppa. He was not following what the Lord said. He literally turned in opposition, went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down and away from the presence of God. Somebody say, Jonah journeying down. Jonah is going down. Look at verse 5 of the same chapter. After Jonah had gotten into the boat, sailing for Tarshish, Jonah didn't just stay down on the boat. He went down into the lower parts of the boat. He'd gone down into the inner part of the ship and went to sleep. By verse 17, you know that there is a storm that had come, and now Jonah had gone down to Joppa. He had gone down to the boat. He had gone down in the boat to the lowest part. Now he's going down into the belly of a fish. You guys see the trajectory of where Jonah is going here? But that's not even enough. You realize that the great fish doesn't just stay on the top of the water, right? Glunk. Down to Joppa, down to the boat, down in the ship, down to the fish, and then where did he go? Down to the belly of Sheol. Take this fish, and it just kept going down and down and down and down. This is the trajectory that Jonah's entire life is on. Here is we're almost halfway through the book of Jonah, just seeing the direction that he's heading. So in looking at this slide, you see the constant descent down and Jonah's journey down into death. It, it, it began to reveal some things to us. As I was engaging this, and so was Pastor Wade, began to realize that, the journeying down to death always is a greater depth than I originally estimated. And that's if I actually estimated it at all. Oh, it can't get any lower than this. And you know, these problems are happening and nothing's working out right. Oh, wait. No. You're going to go deeper. And, and there's, a, there's a specific reason why. Why does God's loyal love lead you into the journey down to the very depths of Sheol? Well, God's loyal love is what brings you to that depth because it's, he's looking to cause you to cry out from a true state of humility that he will answer. I'm engaging with this and I'm going, wow. Every time that I thought that I was at my lowest point and God brought me deeper, I realized that the condition of my heart in that previous depth was grumbling. It was complaining. It was self-loathing. It was self-mortification. I didn't get the point yet of what God was looking to transform inside of me. So he had to bring me to a, a greater depth so that humility could actually be there. And what would come out of my, my, my mouth would be the true expression of my heart that he was looking for the entire time. Our father is Showing us loyal love, particularly in those moments. It also, it also is a matter of experiencing death. Death to what, though? Death to my own ambitions. That greater depth, that next stage, it's killing off everything that I had planned to accomplish in my own strength. 
is killing out my own desires. Particularly, how about this? My own expectations. Right? A forecasting of what is going to be. God's saying, uh-uh, I'm not going to work with that. I'm going to bring you to a greater depth because we're going to get rem- removing that. And that brings me to then that depth of Sheol. And there I get a sober-minded state. I'm able to, to confront what's really happening inside of me that truly is dying so that God can resurrect it. It's then that you're at a place of utter dependency, dependency particularly on God's loyal love because that is what will resurrect your soul and prepare you to then rise and walk in resurrection power. Church, that utter dependency on God is part of what he is getting out of our lives and in his loyal love that's leading us down. Do you realize on the slide that Jonah had some choices that he was making for a while. He chose to go to Joppa and go down. He chose to go to the boat and go down. He chose to go to the lower part of the boat. But after he got in the fish, he was no longer making choices how low that he had to go. Now, I can manage this. I'm okay with this choice. I'm okay with this choice. And God, through his loyal love, says, (laughs) you think that's low enough? Now, we're going to take you to the bottom of the ocean. We're going to take you to the heart of the sea. We're going to take you to the depths of what this is. Why does God do that to Jonah, and why does he do it to us? Because he's got loyal love, and he is going to get out of us a total dependency upon him. Man, Jonah starts to get it. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. For some of us slow learners, that's an exciting thing that Jonah starts to get it. Look at Jonah chapter 2 and verse 5 with us. And listen to what he's praying. By the way, the entirety of chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer inside the great fish. Have you ever thought, man, I wonder what it would be like to be inside of a great fish like this? This becomes a prayer closet for Jonah. We're going to pick it up in verse 5. I want you to hear this. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. (laughs) Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains. Not the base of the mountains, but at the root underneath the water. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Where is he again? Bottom. Belly. Low as he can get. What did he just declare? You brought my life up from the pit. While he's still in the great fish. He's starting to get it. He's starting to get that he doesn't need his circumstances to change. He doesn't say this when he gets to the beach. He says it while he's at the root of the mountains on the bottom of the ocean. Come on, church. It's one thing to say what we say. The Lord is working in our church. He's working in my life. He's working in this house with you brothers and you sisters. There's a lot of things that we can say. Yes, I know that death is good. Yes, there's a cycle. And I need to get to the resurrection. But you don't realize how low you have to go. And in the depth, 
is where the resurrection power of God through his loyal love begins to act upon you. It's in that low moment that he's going, you brought my life up from the pit, even while my body is still in the water. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away. You, you think he's using hyperbole here? Nope. It's actually happening. <laughs> How many things do we say and we just use hyperbole? I'm starving. No, you're not. You're slightly hungry. Come on, Spence. Let's be honest. <laughs> Verse 7. When my life was fainting away, like actually, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came up to you into your holy temple. Where did his prayer go? His prayer went up to the very presence and the very place of God. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast, loyal love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He finally got the revelation still on the bottom of the ocean. And the Lord spoke to the fish. Down, 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 down. Finally turned his eyes up. Finally let his praises rise up. And God then spoke to the fish and said, it spit up Jonah out onto the dry land. Church, it's the depth of humility that Jonah now understands God's loyal love. It's in that death process all the way at the bottom, at the deepest point of it, that he begins to understand God's loyal love and God's ability to bring about resurrection when he has no power to do anything about his situation. His life is brought up from the pit. He's declaring that the prayers have risen to God's holy temple. He is now able to say from experience that those, are paying, those who are paying homage to the idols, they are forsaking God's loyal love at the core. See, now Jonah knows that salvation belongs to the Lord and it belongs to him only. That's one of those things that the Lord is teaching this church, isn't it? It's the thing that you say from day one of your salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But the reality of that is you realize that he is the only one that can save you. Not just at the beginning, but every single day. And it was then that Jonah begins the ascent. Out of the ocean, out of the great fish, and right on to the beach. Let's see how this continues in chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The second time. And was it, what did God say? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. This is the same exact message that the Lord spoke to him the first time. But look at what Jonah had to get through and go through to get to the point where he's now standing on the beach. And God says, from here, continue to go up. Continue to rise. It does. <laughs> yeah, that, that uh, depth difference between the bottom of the sea, I'm sure just standing on the beach is great in and of itself. But in the same way that God knows the depths that it takes to get our, our state of heart right, he also knows that way it will serve the heights in which he's going to bring us afterwards. 
Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose. There's obedience happening. Not only did he arise, the verse continues, and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. So at this point, Jonah continues to rise in his new found resurrection power. He rose in obedience, obeying God's word, and the three days he spent in the belly of Sheol, look at what it's producing now. It's producing revival. It's producing life. And it will produce resurrection in the people of Nineveh. Look, it not only brings life to their day, meaning the people of Nineveh, but God's delight is seen when he averts judgment for decades in that city because of the resurrection power that Jonah experienced and then transmitted to the people of Nineveh. You guys like the story of Jonah? Is anybody in the room like me and wish it or have ever thought that you might have liked it to end right there where we just ended? Yes. Turn with us to Jonah chapter 4. It's a cycle. It is a cycle. After revival breaks forth, I got to be honest with you, this was, uh, I was struggling with this passage as we were studying it because I saw a lot of myself in this and I saw what God is trying to do here. Look what chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was mad at what God was doing at the redemption and revival and repentance that he was bringing to the people of Nineveh. This wasn't his people. These were foreigners. These were foreigners who weren't nice to his people. He didn't like it. What? Uh, say, bro, you were just in the belly of a great fish for a couple of days. This is your response to God moving? Verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Great. I knew it. What didn't Jonah exactly know? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. That you're slow to anger and abounding in a steadfast, loyal love. And you relent from disaster. I knew it. I knew your character is full of loyal love. And here you are being loyal to the word that you said. Very true. Is it? Okay. Let's just, pre let's just presume for a moment that this is not just Jonah, but this is teaching us. He's a prophet. He's warning our soul. Here's a warning that's coming. You're not supposed to look at Jonah and be like, I can't believe how he could do that. <laughs> Crazy Jonah. What you're supposed to do is look at it and see what God is trying to warn your heart about. One of the things that I think that Jonah is wrestling with here is he knows about God's loyal love, but he is not wanting to participate and operate in the same kind of loyal love that God is. 
He's like, no, 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 man. I just want the state of resurrection. I want a permanent position in the resurrection. And those guys are enemy, even enemies of God's people. And I knew that if I came and I preached your word, they would repent. And look what happened. They did. I want to stay in perpetual resurrection, feeling good about where I am, and leaving you in a permanent state of death. The epitome of a selfish perspective. Even after he went all the way down and came all the way up in glory and watched God move. Church, even after great endeavors in your life, you can be a man who's called, anointed, learned lessons, but you are still required to go through cycle after cycle after cycle. Now, come on, let's be honest. Don't you think that after you were swallowed by a great fish, that in your own heart you'd be like, I'm done. I have now gone through literally to the depths that a man can go and been resurrected again. I should be good for at least a few minutes. He didn't make it a week. All that Jonah. How many times has the Lord resurrected you on a Sunday? And then we turn and want to stay in that resurrection state and have other people condemned to their state of death. No, because actually if I do this, I know what I'm supposed to do, but if I do it, they might, I want to stay mad at them for a little while. They've been messing up so much, they need to just sit in it for a little bit. Even after the revival of Nineveh and God's great act of loyal love to Jonah, Jonah still had to continue in the cycle of death to life. He was aware of God's character before he boarded the ship to Tarshish. But what Jonah needed and what we need is to learn how to extend God's loyal love to others that he didn't personally deem were worthy of it. It's one thing to believe that God is full of loyal love. It's another thing for us to operate in the exact same kind of loyal love that he does. Let's all turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and say loyal love as you're turning. We're going to pick up in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. As we were engaging with the, the scripture, we began to see that his loyal love compels me to the cycle of death and resurrection that is power. It is the very source and fuel of what moves me forward to want to go through that next cycle. We stand here, we as a church have been convinced that his loyal love is so tangible and real that we are compelled to operate in the exact same loyal love that he has displayed to us. Because everyone... Everyone who is truly convinced something is required of you, that you must die and then go deeper. 
and die again. Journey further down and die yet again so that when we are resurrected, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him and for them. The the loyal love that God has lavished upon us. Yes, it is to bring us through those cycles of death to life, but it also is designed for us to pour out to others and aid them in their cycles of death to life. So what does that require of us to, to do? In showing loyal love, you know what you will put a stop to? Mourning over your own death or the process that it takes to get there. You will stop it in its tracks and you will begin to realize that his loyal love has never left you. It has never been without in your life. It is a constant source of resurrection power. You'll begin to experience repeated cycles of death to life while living and it enables you to correctly embrace the reality of physical death. Here's what I mean is that when you are rightly engaging and celebrating God's loyal love on a repeated basis while you're still alive, then when that moment comes of actual physical death, it's not a surprise to you what you should do at that moment. That you're able to stand and say, yet God is still faithful. God is still loyal in showing his love to me. And the truth is, when you look at the cycle of death to life, Death is only halfway through the cycle. It's only half. It's not the end of it all. Doesn't matter what you feel. Doesn't matter what you think or try to forecast. When you're standing at that greatest depth in the belly of Sheol, you need to lift your head up and cry out to your God and say, Thank you, Lord, that this is not the end. It is actually the point at which you are closest to experience in resurrection power. His loyal love compels my life upward out of the depths of Sheol so that I might bear the signature of God from that moment forward. Knowing that out of the void of death, he created life yet again inside of me. Therefore, I now operate in the same loyal love towards those around me because I am standing in a place of being compelled by his loyal love to do so. Let us share with you a verse from Proverbs, because uh, as Pastor Peyton says, it's always a good time for a proverb. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 22, again in the NET, it says this, what is desirable for a person is to show loyal love. It's to show loyal love. And a poor person is better than a liar. Well, yes, that's true. But here's the way that these are engaging together. It's desirable to show loyal love, not just to know, not just to think about it, not just to recognize that God has it. It's for you to actually demonstrate it. You show it to your neighbor, your coworker. You show it to the brothers in this room. That is what God finds desirable. It is desirable to show it. And then it goes on. You'd be better to be a poor person who is showing loyal love than to be a liar. And what is the definition of liar based in this passage, based on this verse? It's the man who doesn't show loyal love. 
been proven to be a liar because you said that you were going to help, but because you didn't really have loyal love and demonstrate it, you did not do what you said. Hey, brother, I'll pray for you. Pastors will pray for you on the trip. It is desirable for a person to show loyal love. See, what a beautiful thing here. We want to turn with us now to Luke chapter 10 as we, uh, as we develop this just a little bit more. So Luke chapter 10, we're going to pick up at verse 30. Loyal love. Jesus replied, a man was going, what's that next word? Down. Down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So Jesus is telling his disciples a parable. And he's describing a man who's going down from Jerusalem, just as Pastor Wade explained earlier. And, he, and there is a man who is lying there half dead. So a priest, a Levite, who, these men who knew, believed in, and relied on God's loyal love, their very positions in life made them encounter this concept every day, but they were not men who were willing the, to fulfill the desire of God's heart in showing loyal love to this man who was journeying down and brought to a state of being half dead. Much like Jonah is at the belly of Sheol in that moment. Let's pick up in verse 33. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Man, what a good thing. We're, we're talking to, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, but it's in response to a religious leader. A religious leader has come and tried to trap Jesus with his words. Hey, what should I do? Jesus says, what does the word say? How do you read it? I should love the Lord with all, and I should love my neighbor as myself. Trying to defend himself, he said, well, then who is my neighbor? And this is Jesus' response to him. was an explanation of who the neighbor was. This Samaritan in the story, he's journeying. He came to where the man was. When he saw him, he had compassion. Church, compassion is designed to initiate something, but it's incompetent of bringing resurrection power if it's not followed by action. It's more than just being moved on the inside. That moving is designed to get you to do something. And that's what goes on here in, in uh, verse 33. Let's take a look at verse 34. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Man, that's an amazing thing. Not surprisingly, there are seven things in this verse. Went to him. He wasn't waiting for the man to get up, beaten, bruised as he was, and walk over to his direction. The Samaritan went to him. He bound up his wounds. And verses like Isaiah 61 start rolling around in your mind. He poured oil. He poured wine. He set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The compassion was the initiation that moved him to have actual actions, but there's something even better here in the next verse. Verse 35, and the next day. Everybody say the next day. The next day. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. 
saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So looking at the next day, this began to hit my heart right in the center of it. Loyal love cannot be demonstrated in a single day or moment. Right. Neither can faithfulness. Loyal love is an ongoing cycle of lifting your brother out of death and into resurrection life. That is the actions being compelled by the love of Christ. Uh, the reason that was hit me in the heart is because I can look at a single day or a single moment and all the great things that God did in showing his loyal love to me and me reciprocating that by showing it to my brothers. And it's the next day that then I've checked out. Say, loyal love continues to demonstrate itself through action. The Good Samaritan didn't just go do seven things on a single day. He was compelled to continue acts of loyal love until a certain point. The point that his brother rose to his feet and began to walk in resurrection life. And he tells the, the man at the end, hey, take care of him. We know what he's doing. He's entrusting this responsibility that's his to reliable men. And he tells that innkeeper, whatever you spend, I will repay. This is a demonstration of ayin tova, the generous eye. He's willing to pay the full cost of resurrection power for his brother. And then he promises, when I come back. He's not dropping off you know, the, the guy that's being restored and then paying some money and then running out and never promising to return to see his state. He's committing to return to the responsibility of demonstrating loyal love to his brother until his brother is then fully restored. When you're thinking about loyal love and that it can't be proven in a day, but it takes a lifetime to prove, don't you think of Pastor Matt? This man is a definition, is an epitome of a man who operates in loyal love, not only receives it from the Father, but extends that loyal love to those who are faithful. You've been blessed by him because he's walked in loyal faithfulness. When he says he's going to do it, he doesn't just do it once and then leave you alone. He comes back. He's committed to the entirety of the process. When he sees that you've fallen, he is going to be with you through the process, not just when you turn and look up, but until you are fully resurrected, walking in the same power and doing the same thing for others. It is what loyal love looks like. This is what we must walk in. Look at verse 36. Jesus then gets very pointed with the man, with the religious leader. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Putting him on the spot. Well, tell me what you think. The religious leader, leader he said, the one who showed him mercy. As in, I don't even want to say that he was a Samaritan. You know, the one, the one, not the priest, not the Levite. He could have just said the Samaritan. Because that's the way Jesus named this character in this story. He just says, yeah, the one who showed him mercy. See, the religious leader responds correctly, but you start to see something in this religious leader. Then maybe he's got a little bit of Jonah still in him. He's looking at it and going, yes, I have to concede that God is full of loyal love. By the way, the word for mercy here in verse 37, the one who showed him mercy, 
That word is the Greek cognate, cognate for hesed or loyal love. He had to acknowledge that the one who did this right was the one who displayed and showed loyal love. See, compassion may have initiated the process, but it's loyal love and action that completes it. Now, this man answered the rabbi Jesus correctly concerning the parable. His understanding, though, would be hollow if it was not followed by actions. That's why Jesus finishes this and says, you go and do likewise. It's not enough to understand of God's loyal love. You must be operating and walking in it. You go. You journey down into the depths of death so that you can bring resurrection life to those you find along the way as you, in your ascent of resurrection power. We want to show you what it practically looks like for you to show, demonstrate, walk in, loyal love. It's actually exactly what the Heavenly Father has done for you. Pull the next slide, Samu. What was God's loyal love to you now becomes your loyal love to each other. Amen. That walking through those cycles of death and into resurrection power through you to each other, you're going to lead your brothers and sisters into resurrection life. You're going to stand by their side and endure, be immovable, and stand with them no matter what depth that they descend into. You're going to extend forgiveness in the same way that God has extended forgiveness to you. In doing so, you're demonstrating his loyal love to each other. You're going to protect. You're going to stand and watch and take genuine concern for each other's life. And in doing so, you're going to reflect the, heart, the Father's heart in the way that he has shown you loyal love by protecting and preserving your life. You're going to show mercy. And hear me. Particularly when you think someone doesn't deserve it. Because that's exactly the same way that God has poured out his loyal love to you in that manner. Oh, and here's a good one, church. Your loyal love is going to produce praise. It's going to cause others to rise and shout. Cause others to celebrate the goodness of their father and what he has done, is doing, and will do in the future. And best of all, your loyal love is going to revive. It's going to breathe life into each other and speak life into what may seem to be dry bones and make it stand as an army before God. Church, as you stand to your feet, we want to remind you of 2 Corinthians 5, 15, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, as we're talking about loyal love, we have a few questions for you this morning. Is your loyal love, your loyal love, is it compelling others in the same manner that Christ's loyal love is intended to compel you? See, there's no question about his loyal love, about how good he is. The question that we have for you is, are you operating in this same kind of loyal love? See, your loyal love must compel others. It must compel others to the cycle of death and resurrection that is the power of God on earth. See, you have to get rid of those Jonah-like areas in your life where you're okay with even great experiences, but then it's settling you into a place where you only want the resurrection power and no longer are part of the cycle. 
where you are concerned about your own needs and you're not looking at the death that the brother around you is in. See, we've got to cause Jonah to die inside of us today and let our loyal love be a compelling force in other people's lives as well. So here's how we do that. What resonated in me throughout the message is the way in which praising the character of our God will pull us out of the depths of Sheol. I'm sure that as we preached these facets of who Jonah was and what the Good Samaritan did, it hit you right in the heart. That even our self-reflection, you begin to identify with exactly what it looks like in your life. But today's not a day of mourning. Today's going to be a day of praise. As you praise, you're going to expect God's resurrection power to fill you where you stand. You're going to expect his resurrection power to pull you out of the belly of Sheol and begin to lock your eyes in on his loyal love to you. And then immediately, immediately when we close the service, you're going to begin to show action and showing loyal love to each other. Worship team, we all plugged in. Look, as I pray, let your voices rise. Let praise come out of you. Let revival stir within your soul. Mighty God, we thank you for your demonstration of loyal love to us. We celebrate the goodness of who you have been, who you are, and who you will be to us as a church body. We say right here and right now, Lord, revive our soul. Bring your resurrection power because you are worthy of all of our honor and all of our praise.